Hello and welcome to this special episode of Inside Briefing, the podcast from the Institute for Government. My name is Tim Durrant, today's podcast host. Will it be May, maybe October or November? Surely not January 2025. Yeah, that's right. Today's podcast is exploring something which, let's face it, every political obsessive is talking about, and that's the right time for the general election. Because that choice belongs to the Prime Minister, which means it should, in theory, be a huge electoral advantage, but not always. For all the studying of polls, the weighing up of the weather and the hours of focus group insights, Prime Ministers have not always called it right. Some called elections they probably shouldn't have, others delayed when it might have been wiser to go to the country. So what's the trick to getting it right? What considerations come into play? What discussions take place in number 10? And while we're at it, what should Rishi Sunak do? To discuss all that and more, I'm joined by a brilliant lineup for this bonus episode of Inside Briefing. Jackie Smith was Labour MP for Redditch from 1997 to 2010 and was the UK's first female Home Secretary. She's now a broadcaster and political commentator and co-host the For The Many podcast. Hi, Jackie. Hi there. I'm also joined by Katie Perrier, co-founder and chair of In-House Communications, Times columnist, and from 2016-2017, number 10 Director of Communications under Theresa May. Hi, Katie. Hi there. And we're also joined by another veteran of the May era, her former research and strategy advisor, James Johnson, who founded and runs JL Partners Polling. Hi, James. Hello. So this is an Institute for Government podcast, so we, of course, have to start with some constitutional history. Calling elections has always been in the Prime Minister's power, except when it wasn't. So in an effort to secure some sort of stability, the coalition government of 2010 brought in the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, which said that elections would only be called every five years. But that has since been repealed. So we're back to where we were. In other words, back to speculation. Jackie, do you think it's a good thing for the Prime Minister to have the power to call elections or should Parliament have more of a say? I was never a big fan of the Fixed Terms Parliament Act, actually. You know, in one way, it is an enormous power for the Prime Minister to be able to essentially determine the timing of the uh, election. Um, But... It's also an enormous responsibility, as I suspect Rishi Sunak is is feeling at the moment. And of course, there is, you know, there's a limit to the length of time that a parliament can go. So, um, you know, it's not as if Rishi Sunak could say, no, I don't fancy an election at all. There is a there is a five year limit from the time at which uh, parliament first sat. Uh, but I suspect, as former prime ministers have done, he is now uh, wargaming and considering what the best time to call the election would be. And on the whole, it's not the very last minute. James, do you think, was there any value in the Fixed Term Parliament Act? Presumably, it makes things harder for pollsters. It certainly makes it a little bit more uh, uh, hard to predict, uh, obviously, different effects. I mean, I'm of the view that um, people worry way too much about things like weather effects. You know, oh, is it going to be dark in December? We can't do an election then. I think most of the research shows there's not a huge impact on that. And actually what matters a lot more is, do people think the government and the prime minister are any good? Um, I I think Jackie's right. Very last minute, especially with this timing for Rishi Sunak, because very last minute for him will be January 2025, um, which would mean, uh, you know, people having to campaign over Christmas. I think that he'd be very unpopular with his MPs and indeed very unpopular with the country if he went for that. Um, But I do think that, Going long probably is Rishi Sunak's best bet. Uh, October, we heard about November last week. But when you're unpopular and you're 20 points behind in the polls, your best bet is to uh, go as long as you can and hope that something pops up. Makes makes a lot of sense. Katie, what do you think? Is is uncertainty um, over election dates, is that fun or is it is that bad for business? 
Well, it keeps us all occupied, doesn't it? I mean, what would we do in Westminster if we weren't talking about um, when the next, next election might be? I think there's always a balance between risk and reward, uh, and sometimes they're skewed. Sometimes it's about who's in the room to try and persuade a Prime Minister at any one point with their particular point of view. But I also think it's overplayed around when the election is, and sometimes we need to be focused on what kind of election we might have uh, what would be the you know the main points that we would you know there would be division over what kind of prime ministerial campaign would they run and you know when we look back at Theresa May's calling of um, the election everybody criticised it and said look you know this twenty point lead vanished into thin air was it the right thing to do to call an election some people say well no of course it wasn't look at the outcome you know she she it went downhill very fast. I don't necessarily agree with that. I actually think that maybe it was the right thing to call an election. It's just the election campaign that she ran was the wrong campaign. So it's all different things come into play. It's not just the timing. It's what kind of campaign do you want to run? William Hague wrote a brilliant piece in The Times this week around hope and vision for the country. And it's not just about campaigning about the negatives of your opposition. It's about what you offer the voter as well. So there's loads of different things that come into play. It's not just about timing. I think Katie is right. Um... But it's also an intensely personal decision now that it comes down to the Prime Minister to decide. Of course, there are all sorts of advisors, pollsters, um, the party telling you whether or not you're actually financially and uh, logistically ready to fight an election. But in the end, the Prime Minister has to get up in the morning, look himself or herself uh, in the mirror and know that the decision that they're going to take, at the very least, will lose potentially some of their colleagues their jobs and probably could lose him or her their job as well. That's a very big decision to make. So let's let's go back to uh, a Prime Minister who didn't take that decision, Jackie. So if you don't mind, going back to 2007, Gordon Brown has entered number 10. He's had quite a good summer. Labour is, is riding fairly high in the polls. And then he decides not to do it. So what was that like being inside government at that time? I feel I feel like you're triggering me because it was... Uh, <laughs> Apologies. <I've, laughs> uh, of course, then we waited until 2010 and then I lost my seat and then we no longer had a Labour government. Counterfactuals are difficult, but I was pretty clear at the time that for some of the reasons that you have suggested, it would have been better to call a general election. Um, You're right, you know, Gordon took over in June 2007. um, Very quickly, as I well know, faced a sort of foiled terror attack, had floods Mm. and other things. Um, All of the polling seemed to suggest that whilst he was behind when Labour was behind when he took over, uh, as the summer went on, the polls showed that Labour was uh, then in the lead. In fact, had the biggest lead since 2005 by the time uh, we got to the sort of middle of September. And there had been conversations, including in um, political cabinet, about whether or not there should be an election even before we got to that point. And there was a lot of conversation and planning, thinking about it amongst his advisors. And this is almost the biggest mistake that he made. You know, I believe he should have called a a general election in 2007. I think we would have at least stood a chance of winning. But once you've started 
the discussion about the fact that you might be going to call a general election. To back off at that point means that you, as is, was the case with Gordon, will always have hung around your neck that you were indecisive. You know, remember David Cameron saying, you know, is this the first prime minister that has refused to call an election that they claim that they can win? Um, and that became a very, very big problem almost for the rest of the mm. time that Gordon was the prime minister. And James, as a pollster, as, as Jackie said, Labour were ahead uh, by, by September of, of that year. Do you think he should have called it? I think I think Jackie's probably right. I think that, as as Jackie says, there was a there was a chance then. Um, I think we have to remember that, of course, in the in the in the immediate sort of surroundings of that, the Conservatives had a much better conference than Labour were anticipating. Um, they had a uh, inheritance tax cut uh, announcement, um, which is obviously slightly relevant now because it's one of these things that is being discussed as potentially a trick up the Conservative sleeve for next year. Um, that perhaps, uh, I've uh, no doubt, I mean, gave a bit of concern to perhaps some of those in Labour looking at looking at the numbers and indeed in number 10. Um, but uh, even with that, I think uh, Gordon Brown would have would have had a run at it. I suppose the only caveat I would make is something that happened with, when Theresa May called an election in 2017. And I'm sure you're going to torture me and Katie on that one uh, <laughs> imminently. Um, but the public reaction to that was actually something that CCHQ didn't pick up at all in the polling, which mm. was a sort of, well, why is she doing this? Yeah. Is she doing this just sort of for her own glory um, rather than for what's right in the country? Why do we need one? Um, and that became a real, a really sort of strong, strong view. And it, it undermined that sense that Theresa May was out there for the national interest and that actually maybe she was out for her own yeah. um, until that point people thought that maybe she was a different kind of politician. So I, I do just wonder whether Gordon Brown would have had uh, quite enough explanation for an election at that point, and it could have blunted him a little bit more. But I think when you look at the 2010 result, it's uh, it's, it's, the, it's the wonderful uh, gift of hindsight, right? It clearly was um, it clearly would have been better than what ended up happening. Yeah. I, but as you say, is that the Brenda from Bristol point, right, around why are we having another election? Yeah. And it was already beginning to be a disadvantage for him. I mean, I think there are two things uh, out of this. Firstly, you may or may not remember, but of course we went through the Labour um, conference. There were the, the election was definitely on the cards at that point. You know, the TV slots had been booked, the, the manifesto was being written, the um, cars were organised, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, all of us were being revved up for um, what we would need to do when the election was was called. Um, he then went the following week, which was the Tory party conference, off for a trip to Iraq as the relatively new prime minister. He was accused by Liam Fox of doing that as a form of electioneering, as opposed to legitimately as a prime minister going to um, going to uh, Iraq. And there's an important lesson, therefore, for the opposition as well. So I hope, in some ways, I hope that Keir Starmer and, and the Labour opposition are looking at the very successful things that the Tories did in 2007 mm. to stymie the election. Because, of course, as James rightly said, as well then, there was a very successful Tory party conference. There was the George Osborne announcement on inheritance tax. There was um, David Cameron talking about stamp duty cuts. And before you knew it, people's 
confidence in whether or not we could win had gone and the decision was made at the very last minute and almost in the worst possible way not to go ahead with the election. I was at an Aston Villa football match uh, on that fateful Saturday afternoon when Gordon had already recorded an interview uh, to go out on Mar on Sunday morning, but word had got out and he had to do this sort of very hurried um, announcement on uh, the Saturday and everything sort of descended into a certain amount of chaos and disappointment at that point. Uh, as you say, you know, the hypotheticals are fascinating, aren't they? Um, all the counterfactuals. Um, let's fast forward to 2017. So uh, triggering uh, Katie and, and James a little bit more, perhaps, rather than Jackie this time. Um, there were parallels. Theresa May has come to power, change of prime minister a couple of years after the last election. And she's had a poll bounce as well and is looking, to coin a phrase, fairly strong and stable. So what were the conversations inside number 10 like at that time, Katie? Well, they were very siloed in terms of lots of different conversations happening in lots of different places. So I'd love to say that it was all joined up in this huge kind of agreement and push, but it wasn't. It was, And there was a little bit of who lost speaks to the prime minister gets their way. Uh, and I, always, I think that's a sign of weakness as well. Uh, in terms of um, her decision-making process. It was clear the Prime Minister did not want to do it. She did not want to. There was nothing about Theresa May that wanted an election. But everybody around her was saying that this is probably a good idea for the following reasons. And this all comes down to the type and size of majority that you have. Mm -hmm. And indeed, it's a very wise Labour Party at the moment to think about what can they do um, in power with small majorities? What do you need Parliament for? And what do you not need Parliament for? What can you go ahead and do for the better, for, you know, to improve the country where you don't need Parliament? Because they may not have the kind of numbers they need. And they saw Theresa May that struggled, not just with the numbers that she had, but the kind of attitude and uh, positioning that she had from the party at the time. Um, referring to what James said earlier, I mean, um, it wasn't just the fact that we had the kind of Brenda from Bristol, why does Theresa May think it's, you know, want to be so self-indulgent and have a vote? The country was also scarred from a Brexit process that wasn't long before. And so they've been fed up with going to the polls uh, and voting and falling out with their neighbours, falling out with people around the, the dinner table around the issue of Brexit and did not much fancy going back again to yet again vote for what they consider to be establishment that couldn't really sort themselves out. And so I, I do feel that it was um, uh, you know, very self-indulgent. But it wasn't a bad, bad idea. I just like to park it. It's easy in hindsight to say... Mm. Why didn't people like me walk into the office and say, Prime Minister, you, you should you should not call an election? She's 20-odd points ahead in the polls. The media coverage for the six months running up, I would say this, wouldn't I, because I was in charge of it, but it was pretty damn good, right? <laughs> you know, it was day after day after day of good, positive coverage, if nothing else, because the newspapers wanted to make sure that the Brexit they supported was actually mm. going to get delivered and they wouldn't end up with egg on their face. So she had everything to play for. Jeremy Corbyn was not coming out with policies that were, you know, that were appealing to the centre of politics in terms of the middle ground. Um, he, bit, he, he was a pretty much, pretty much a bit of a relevance uh, during mm. the first part of her time at number ten. So there was no poll or you know um, anything pointing towards the fact that suddenly he was going to have to surge. And there is something to be to read into that around Rishi Sunak going as long as possible because there is something around your challenger being fresh 
being an alternative, being interesting. And the longer they leave it for Keir Starmer, they are hoping that he won't appear as fresh anymore. And actually, will you know some issues will, will emerge from his own party, maybe that would you know, cause him some issues uh, in terms of uh, party management. There is something around the, I don't want to coin the phrase momentum, but there is something around the, the momentum of a challenger to try and move quickly. And what we saw with Theresa May is that, you know, if that election had been any longer, I'm not sure she would have collected the keys to number 10. It went downhill and it went downhill fast because he built up that momentum uh, and nearly got across the finish line. Yeah. And uh, James, Katie mentioned there a couple of times about the importance of polling. I mean, you were you were doing that work inside number 10 at that point. So what were your views? And also, are there other factors that Prime Minister needs to take into account that the polls can't capture? I mean, Katie kind of alluded to some of them there. Yes, in that in that first phase of of, of number ten, I was uh, I was a bit more junior than I ended up being afterwards. So, uh, as Katie says, it was it was it was siloed is I think generous <laughs> to <laughs> how the decision making was made, and it was very uh, closed off to a, a, a very small number of, of senior advisors. Um, uh, I uh, found out on the morning of the announcement, uh, as indeed did did many others. Um, uh, but I do know that polling, uh, I, I do know afterwards um, from stuff that I then sort of seen and, and, and heard about that polling was done by CCHQ in the run up to that, uh, in the run up to that decision. Um, and uh, Katie's absolutely right. I, I think that if you could find anyone who was warning about, you know, Theresa May's popularity and the Conservatives' popularity, uh, and that Jeremy Corbyn might get forty percent of the vote. Um, I, I think that I'd be surprised, and I had plenty of people calling me on that day saying, "Oh, well, this is going to be it, isn't it? Ten years of Theresa, you know, you're going to smash it." Uh, so um, I, I would, I would certainly agree with Katie on that on that counterfactual. The problem was the execution, um, and uh, um, they basically designed a campaign um, for Theresa. That was completely at odds with Theresa's strength as a politician. Um, the reason that people liked her in that pre-election period, as Katie says, is because they thought she was doing things behind the scenes. They didn't think she was being sort of too out upfront, too too loud, too uh, politiciany. Um, of course, the campaign decided to put her name on the side of a bus and put her in front of crowds um, in a sort of David Cameron style. So some people say. You know, that period of Theresa May popularity that Katie spoke about was was a mirage. She was never really that popular. It was just a sort of artificial boom. I, I strongly disagree with that. I think it was real, but it was based in strengths that were then ignored and consciously undermined mm. during the during the succe- uh, succeeding election campaign. And, I mean, Jackie, from a Labour point of view, uh, as Katie mentioned, obviously Jeremy Corbyn was the leader of the opposition at that time. Uh, they, the Labour Party did better than expected uh, when the election was first called. What do you think led to that? (laughs) Um, I think there's something about your success in an election that you call like this, which is about expectation management. You know, I mean, let's not forget, Jeremy Corbyn did do relatively well, but he lost and Theresa May won. But nevertheless, it was seen as, you know, a failure of judgment as well as a failure of the campaign to call the election at that particular point. And back in 2007, Mm. that was another thing that the Tories were cleverly doing. They were saying, well, of course, if Labour called a general election and then Gordon Brown hadn't increased his majority, that would essentially be a failure. Of course, it wouldn't have been, but it began to make people worry about 
the decision to call an election or not. I think the, the other thing I would say is that surely one of the, of course, you look at current polls for making a decision about the election, but you also look at what you think is coming down the track. And surely in the case of of Theresa May, part of the reason why she called the election was to give herself a bit of um, oomph for what were clearly going to be very difficult negotiations to come. Uh, One of the things I'm still not clear whether or not Gordon Brown knew or could see coming was the um, financial crash that was uh, to come during 2008. Surely if he had properly understood that that was coming, that was an even bigger argument to to go in 2007. And Rishi Sunak and the people around him are presumably thinking, is the economy uh, getting better or worse? And he could be justified in saying, well, uh, interest rates may well be coming down. I may well be getting closer to achieving the pledges that I've set out, and therefore I need to leave it long enough to at least show some progress on the things uh, that I have set out to do. So you have to consider not only your popularity at this moment, but as far as you can, look to the future about what might, would be likely to be the the things that would impact on you at that particular point. I think that's uh, just to quickly come in there. I think that that a similar lesson there applies to how the public respond. So um, I ran the sort of post mortem into what happened at the ele- uh, 2017 election for the Conservatives and uh, presented it to political cabinet. And one of the most interesting things that we found in that um, was that actually it wasn't the manifesto launch or social care that. Um, sort of started the decline of Theresa May's popularity. Um, of course, that that quickened the pace. Actually, it was right at the start. It was when it, things stopped becoming a question of is Theresa May a good prime minister and is she doing Brexit well? To who do you want to run the country? Mm-hmm. And that Labour versus Conservative battle that formed in voters' minds advantaged Labour because it suddenly became about other things like the NHS, schools the cost of living, personal and public services. And there's that mindset shift that is very hard to predict with polling. I suppose, you know, if anyone in, I don't know, you know, 10 years time is wondering whether, goodness, I don't know, Prime Minister Wes Streeting should go to the polls early or whoever it might, whoever it might be. Hopefully they'll listen back to this um, because I think, you know, I think all three of us are saying here, there are some lessons to be learned here. And when that that public shift is something you cannot spot if you're sat there doing hypothetical bowling. Um, so it's one to sort of be, be, be very cautious about. Absolutely. And also, I mean, a key theme coming out here, right, is, is the campaign can go in very unexpected directions. You know, what you think might be a solid case to make uh, on, on calling that election may not be what people are interested in hearing about and, and what is in their mind when they're making their decisions. So let's talk about the next uh, general election um, where, you know, there'll be speculation for for months to come. You were all inside government in the run up to a decision to have an election or not, as it was as in, 20, in 2007. What does the kind of speculation do inside government? Does it mean other things kind of slow down? Are people distracted and ministers focusing solely on the kind of polling and the politics and less able to spend time on kind of the day job um katie perhaps yeah it's it's hugely distracting in a way and also you know no politician uh, feels that there's uh, ever enough time politicians always want more time to deliver on their legacy and their promises and so um there's this kind of fear that we're running out of time running out of time and that makes people panic and maybe not think and that's where mistakes are made 
Um, I often look back at Theresa May's campaign and think, you know, were they making this up on the spot? Because, you know, if you'd spent five minutes longer, you would have realised that might not have been a good idea. Uh, and so the planning of these uh, campaigns is crucial. Uh, what you're going to focus on, when, how, uh, how you're going to make that case. And and actually doing the, the running beforehand, talking to charities, talking to bodies to make sure that you're not about to put your foot in it and come up with something that is ridiculous and you're going to row back from. Um, it's, you know, th- these campaigns take on a life of their own. Um, and it's always a thing you don't plan for that catches you out. And so being able to respond well and try and put things to bed is, is half the battle. I also think that the campaigns show people in their best light and show them in their worst light. Um, I never really experienced much of a grumpy Theresa May at number 10, and yet she came across incredibly grumpy during that campaign because clearly it wasn't going her way. And I always remember her snapping to journalists when they were talking about a so-called dementia tax and others saying, nothing has changed in a very irate, wound up kind of way. And I thought at that moment, people are seeing, you know, is this authentically you or is this someone that, you know, very rarely gets rattled and actually is pretty unflappable and yet it showed the side to her that she will not want them to have seen. So, um, so much goes on in what your decision making is uh, around uh, when you're going to do it. And also the way your party behaves and not just the way your backbenchers behave, you know, jostling for position, trying to keep an eye on your constituency. You know, the whole idea that you might volunteer, I think, for the Conservative Party to go and work someone else's patch this time around is for the birds, quite frankly, because you won't want to leave your seat uh, this time around to go and help out someone else. So it's not just the behaviour yourself in number 10, what you're going to do, it's your backbenchers, but also your civil servants. And your civil servants might decide that, hmm, why would I want to go ahead massively push on this policy when in a few months' time we could end up with a different government? I might just sit tight and ride this one out. So things do grind to a stop. Or they think, we've only got a couple of months left of this government. Let's push it through because we're not sure that the opposition are going to really go for this. So you've got one side of civil service that are going like crazy, going like clappers to try and get something done, and others that are thinking, well, I might just take my foot off the pedal. So um, it it is uh, quite a bit like trying to herd cats at that point. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, without obviously making any firm predictions that it looks like there will be a change of government at the next election if the polls carry on the way they are. Jackie, what is it like uh, being in government at what perhaps only with hindsight is clearly the tail end of a of a period in government? You know, what were those last couple of years like, if, if that's not too sensitive a question? <laughs> Kate is absolutely right about the impact on government as a whole, um, including the civil service, in the run-up to any general election. Um, you know, and I fought 2001 as a, as a minister and 2005 as a minister, 2010 uh, in the run-up as a minister. And 2010 was different because I think people could see that it was likely that the government was going to change. But in the run-up to any general election, you know, that... Katie's right, there is either an emphasis on um, let's not bother or there's an emphasis on there's an election coming, let's do something exciting for people to see that we've done and that we can then um, play into the election campaign. Um, People by 2010 had become, and I, I would say that I suspect this is a bit like the current government is, everybody around government had begun to feel that it was coming to an end. Uh, MPs as well. And I think it's quite telling at the moment, the number of MPs who have decided they don't want to put themselves through that election whenever whenever it comes. And that begins to build a sense of end of days about 
the administration of government and about the politics of government, which it is very difficult to shake people out of. Absolutely. Um, and James, in terms of the decision that the Prime Minister will be making, I mean, we said, you know, there's a kind of, from his point of view, there's a case for staying as, as long as possible and hoping something comes up. But there has been talk around uh, May 2024 as a potential date. You know, Danny Finkelstein wrote in The Times saying that that would, that would make sense. Um, what do you think would be the factors pushing him to go for that? And how close would he want the polls to be to go earlier? I think these things get overthought um, and actually does he time it with better economic news? What's the economy going to look like in May versus November? Uh, I, I expect that actually May probably won't be on the cards um, almost in any scenario um, unless, of course, you know something dramatic were to happen. Um, but if anything so dramatic were to happen that it would boost Rishi Sunak's ratings like that, it probably would mean that an election would be the last thing that you'd want, You know whether it were... <laughs> dare I say it, a global pandemic or a war or whatever it might be. So uh, I, I, I certainly can't can't see that that being the case. What, what's, what's interesting is the extent to which the speculation on date is going to dominate next year. Mm. Um, it, it, because of the Fixed-Term Parliament Act, in the round of 2015, there wasn't really any speculation about it, obviously. Then we had you know, real turmoil, 17, 19, 2010, because the 2005 election was in May and the five years ran out in May, I think everybody always sort of assumed that the Labour, the election for Labour would be in 2010. We've not really had a situation like this since Blair went to the polls in 2001 and 2005, both a year early. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it'd be interesting to see how much it dominates. Jackie, how much did it dominate in the Blair years? Was there like, did people expect Blair to go a year early? Did it Did it dominate a lot of the discussion or not? Well, I think on the whole, um, when you're you're riding reasonably high and you think you're going to win, and I think historically this is the case, you tend to go after about four years or just over four years. It's when you think there's a chance that you're going to lose that you go the full the full distance so uh, in some ways you know in the run-up to 1997 of course we were we were waiting and waiting for a general election me as a marginal seat um candidate and that did go the full length of time because the government was behind in the polls so honestly in 2001 and 2005 don't remember very much speculation at all. I think it was largely, we sort of vaguely knew when it was likely to be, we were ready to go and we went and we thought we were going to win anyway. So it was it was reasonably smooth. I think this point about speculation though is fundamental because it's really difficult because the, the Prime Minister can't announce way out when the election's going to be, but nor should he, and this was Gordon Brown's problem, allow a whole load of public planning and discussion almost in public to be going on because you then begin to look weak everything is seen through the mm-hmm. prism of an ele- of electioneering rather than uh, governing and whatever decision you make people will say you're not making it for the good of the country you're only making it for political reasons it's if you start if people start believing there's going to be an election there needs to be an election because otherwise you can't govern anyway, and and you look as if you're indecisive. Like you said, I think that's a real danger for Rishi Sunak next year. If there's that question mark and people are starting to expect it, he's probably better off to just say it's going to be in November, issue settled, mm-hmm. um, and now we're going to work on governing between now and then. Yeah. Well, 
to finish and ha- finishing on the note of the dangers of speculation, let's end by speculating. When do we think it's going to be? I'm going to put you all on the spot. Uh, Katie. I think I am going for early November 24. Um, I think the party conference season is going to be like this rallying cry. I don't think parties can afford to cancel party conferences. So they'll factor it in some way so they can run their big showpiece. It's been a, like a rally uh, and uh, that will be part of the, the general election planning. Brilliant. James? I'm I, I'm going to say, uh, I mean, goodness me, if it's early November, this is terrible for people like myself who do polling in the US and the UK because we're going to have absolutely <laughs> no sleep at all. Uh, I, I actually think it might end up being even later than that. I think it could end up being then, but it could also be early December and they just go for the five five years on, get it out of the way before, before Christmas um, and have that sort of longer campaigning period between conference and, and then. And Jackie, what do you think? Tiniest violin in the world for all those poor pollsters who are having to to poll two elections at the same time. (laughs) Um, I would have thought, you know, if I were a Tory, I would probably go for December, good vibes, December 2019, when actually that was a horrible election to fight if you were knocking on doors. Uh, And I think go as long as you can if you don't think you're going to win. But if I had to plump, I would probably agree with Katie. That's it for today. Thanks so much to my guests, Jackie Smith, Katie Perrier and James Johnson. And thank you all for listening at home. You can find all our podcasts at iTunes, Spotify and all the major platforms. So please do take inspiration from all this talk about focus groups and voting and give us a nice review. Over the summer, we've put out a brilliant six part series, which reveals what it takes to really be a minister. So do listen back to that one and check out the IFG website for all our work on how elections are called, the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, brackets RIP, forming governments and more. And while I'm not going to predict when the next general election will be, I will predict that we will keep talking about this. See you next time.